welcome like-minded investors. Um, we are so excited for this episode today. We actually don't have a guest, um, not because we don't have people lined up, <laughs> but because we wanted to take kind of a time out from the guests and um, go over five fears um, that I guess new investors typically have when getting started in, in real estate and kind of how to overcome them. Because now that Bill, you are um, in your first flip, you know, you've overcome all, well, I don't know all of them, but lots of these fears, I'm sure. So um, yeah. I think this will be a, a great topic for you and I just to chat about here for a little bit. Yeah, I totally agree. And like you said, I definitely have, I, I can relate to a lot of these. I definitely have um, had these fears for, for a while. Um, some of them and some of them on some level, I guess I still have um, in the back of my head. So I'm excited to get through them um, and maybe help a few other folks who are interested as well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so I guess let's get started with the first one, which I think is the biggest one analysis paralysis, <laughs> the, yes. fear of, the fear of not knowing where to start. Yeah. I think this one relates to, I think everybody um, who has, started. I mean, everybody has that fear of actually diving in. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think analysis paralysis, it can definitely be completely overwhelming. So I think the first thing that we should remind new investors of that it's absolutely common to have analysis paralysis. I, I don't know if I know very many people who haven't gone through it. Um, so, you know, I feel like analysis paralysis sometimes stems from shiny object syndrome, where mm. there are so many cool ways to get started in real estate. It's almost like, wait, like what strategy do I go with? I feel like that's a big part of analysis paralysis. So how did you choose? Um, and I know that we talked about this in your episode and people yeah. can go back and listen to that. Um, but how did you decide to start with a flip? I kind of fell into it. So I think to piggyback off your point with shiny object syndrome, I think a lot of people struggle with analysis paralysis, not only because of the shiny object syndrome, but because it takes practice to get good at running your numbers. And if you're running it as a flip, you're running it as a, you're looking at multifamily, you're looking at single family, you're looking at five plus units where it might be a commercial loan, where you're looking at mixed use or, or fully commercial or triple net or, you know, a specific line of business like storage units or liquor stores or, or something like they all get analyzed very differently. Um, and you're not going to get good at anyone individually. Um, if you're trying to like spread that knowledge, um, you got to have kind of the foundation and building blocks, whether that's like a house hack or, you know, just a, a you know, two or three unit or a single family and then build up from there, get, you know, get your feet wet. Um, as far as me going into flipping, I, I fully wanted to do a house hack. I wanted to get a duplex, live in one unit, rent the other. Um, this market was insane. So um, I kind of took a pivot, but there were years of me running numbers in the background, um, you know, getting comfortable with running my numbers, building the spreadsheets, tweaking spreadsheets. Um, it wasn't just a overnight decision that the market was hot, the flip numbers work. There was a lot of analysis that went into that. Um, the other thing that kind of helped me be comfortable is that this house also worked as a rental and it worked as a primary as well in terms of fixing it up and maybe leveraging it as a primary and doing a HELOC or something like that. It worked a few ways, but the only way to do that was to analyze it all three different ways, essentially. Yeah. And it's smart to have those multiple exit strategies, um, with that flip. So, you know, I feel like my one tip for people who have analysis paralysis and shiny object syndrome, um, choose one strategy to start mm -hmm. and know that you, you don't have to stick with the first strategy that you choose. That is the absolute beauty of real estate is kind of what you mm -hmm. said. You were able to pivot. So, you know, if you stick with that one strategy, learn it, learn how to analyze, let's say, um, you're going to start with um, a flip, learn how to analyze that flip, learn like the, like, you know, it, like the back of your hand, how to run numbers for a flip. Um, yeah. and I think, I, I don't know, I feel like that's, 
I, uh, I have been coaching, you know, a few people to get started in real estate. And, um, I finally am taking my own advice because I've been all over the place with different, (laughs) different strategies and stuff (laughs) like that. So, um, just recently we've decided to stick with, well, ours will be two strategies. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Do you have any other tips besides just choosing one strategy to get started to avoid that analysis paralysis or the fear of getting started? I think one tip is to continue learning and listening to other people who have done it. Um, So if your strategy is flipping, we'll just use that as an example. Don't listen to podcasts where a lot or or read books where a lot of the guests or the subject matter experts are into buy and hold rentals or the commercial space. That makes zero sense, right? Listen to the people who are the episodes of podcasts that where people are doing something similar. What and then also when you're networking, kind of come with that frame of mind. Um, go to meetups, talk to people, talk to contractors, talk to electricians, talk to other flippers, talk to the buy and hold investors, just to kind of see you know what they're doing, what what they're putting in their units, you know, um, what's commanding the highest rent. But but also know you know you're looking at it through the lens of a flipper. But I would say network and continue learning. Um, that'll help you get more comfortable over time. Um, and eventually you'll learn to talk the talk and walk the walk. Yeah. And that's super important too. Um, like in analysis paralysis, like it can be overwhelming to talk to these big time flippers who, you know, have mm-hmm. billion <laughs> deals under their belt. So when you go to those people, I mean, investors love helping other investors for the most part. I feel yeah. like everybody loves imparting knowledge on the next person in line. I mean, that's what the whole like-minded investors is all about. But one of my tips too for analysis paralysis, don't be afraid to go to people who are who are doing exactly what you want to be doing and be like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I know this is what I want to do. Where do I start? Can you help me? And just be completely honest um, until you are able to walk the walk. Don't, you know, yeah. don't pretend, <laughs> don't pretend that you you know everything um, or it's going to be tough, tough to, yeah. you know, yeah. I totally agree. It took me a year almost to get comfortable enough to go to my first meetup. Um, just understanding the lingo and, you know, rentals and what I wanted to do. And then from there, I mean, it's funny people that know me and met me at that first meetup who, who I built relationships with are like, you know, from, from that first meetup, you were like a scared little puppy thinking you knew what you knew what you're talking about. And you knew enough to, to come to the meeting and you were confident in what you knew but what you knew was just the tip of the iceberg. And now like where you're at is just so much better. Um, And that didn't come from the podcast. That came from talking to people that came from diving into the deal. So. Yeah, I completely agree. So I guess let's dive into um, the second um, fear, which I think a lot of people, you know, speaking of flipping and, you know, if you're doing a burr, part of that burr process includes a rehab. So I know a lot of people have a fear of underestimating rehab costs. So, I mean, my first, my first thought on this is you will never ever be able to (laughs) to completely get a rock solid number because there will always be unforeseen expenses. Um, And when you get first get started, there is no way to know everything. So Mm -hmm. um, just, just know you don't, you won't know everything from day one. So <laughs> don't feel like you have to. Um, and you know, as you get more deals under your belt, you'll definitely get better at estimating. So, um, were you confident when you ran your numbers for your, for your flip about your I, estimate, about your costs? I was, um, to some degree, I, I kind of knew what the house needed. Um, I had walked through a contractor friend of mine had walked through, they actually were going to buy it as a flip themselves. So I kind of already had the numbers in my head and they, they more or less aligned to their numbers. Mine were a little more expensive, uh, just cause I was accounting for, you know, me being new, um, <laughs> and some other things where we had kind of some design differences. Um, that being said, I'm already estimating to go over budget. Yeah, that Um, will happen. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like there's like stupid things I didn't account for. Um, I knew I wanted to take like a wall down, for instance. I knew um, 
I wanted to, you know, do some things with some space in the garage. I knew I wanted to move an HVAC vent over a couple stud bays so that I could totally redesign the kitchen. But what I didn't really think through was that all of that stuff was like inside the walls. And some of like the minor details was like they painted over the wallpaper. And it was like one of those wallpapers where it was kind of really hard to tell it was wallpaper, even walking through the property until you started like peeling or noticing like that one corner that maybe I should have noticed, you know, when I walked through the property. But, um, you know, between ripping through, through walls, tearing walls down, um, doing things within the walls, I kind of decided to just rip all the drywall and all the sheet down. It's just going to be easier for everybody to kind of do what they need to do from electric to HVAC to plumbing. It's going to be easy for me to take down the walls that I need to or to see what's load bearing or what's not load bearing. But that already is going to add probably five grand in my budget. Easy. Yeah, things change as, yeah. as you get in there and do stuff. So um, yeah. also really important to add like a contingency um, yeah, or a miscellaneous absolutely. expense, whether it be, I don't know, 10% of your budget or mm -hmm. $5,000 or $10,000, whatever you're comfortable with. I think that's a, yeah. a big line item to have uh, when estimating rehab costs. Yeah, I agree. My, my original budget was $30,000. Um, I kind of bumped it up to 35 knowing I was going to make the mistakes. And like I said, there were some design differences and stuff. I wasn't sure until I got in here whether I would do them or not. Now I'm probably looking at like 40 as a budget <laughs> and yeah. I'll probably still, <laughs> still exceed that by a couple grand, just knowing me. Um, yeah. But that's okay. Like I know the deal still works. Um, I built enough contingencies in, and, and ran the numbers strong enough that I know my numbers, you know, I might not make as much profit on the flip or I might not, you know, get as much money out if I rent it and try to do a burr or a HELOC or something, but that's okay. I mean, yeah. it's the first deal, it's a lot of learning and a lot of education. Um, yeah. You know, think about it, you know, in terms of what you would spend on college, right? Well, I don't even know what the price of college. I think my, my university is like 60,000 a year or something stupid, ridiculous. Now it's crazy expensive <laughs> school. Um, but you know what you're not going to spend sixty thousand dollars in education on this house you're likely like what i just said my original budget was 30 35 and i'm at 40 that's a five thousand dollar for like the school of hard knocks on real estate <laughs> yep i i completely agree with that statement yeah um so one thing i don't know that i used to do um to estimate accurately like you know my husband and i own a remodeling business so we can pretty much now just like walk through a property pretty quickly and, and figure out about what it needs. Um, but I don't know, people out there who are just getting started, maybe this would help you because this is what I used to do um, in order to get the rehab budget. I would actually walk around to every single room and I would count the number of windows, uh, receptacles, switches, doors. I'd take note, um, I would take notes on if they needed to be replaced or just repaired or if the doors needed, again, needed to be just painted or um, if knobs were needed, if the hinges needed to be replaced, like all those mm -hmm. little things, they add up so fast, especially in a, in a big house. So um, the second flip that I did with my husband, it was a, almost a 3000 square foot house. So you can imagine those things add up really fast. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah. Especially with like, you know, trying to make it more modern with more receptacles, more recessed lights, all that kind of stuff. I mean, do you have yeah. the right ampage even too to support yeah. all of that? Yeah. And then while doing that too, I think it's important, uh, you know, one thing that you can do to help with your estimating of your rehab budget is to take a look at all of the big ticket items, like the roofs, the mechanicals. And I know you don't know a hundred percent know what you're looking at, but um, is the electrical, is it, like you said, is it updated or is it like knob and tube? I mean, that can be yeah. super expensive to remove and replace. Yeah. Um, and everybody has this amazing thing in their pocket called a phone. Yeah. And people, most people have laptops or tablets or something. So it's not hard to Google what knob and tube looks like. It's not hard to Google what, you know, cast iron pipes look like. Google it, see what they look like, take screenshots, save them to your phone, whatever. And then when you go through a property and you're taking pictures and things like that, take a picture of the electric box. Take, take a lots picture. of pictures so that when you take go back. Take pictures. Yes. You're yes. going to notice things because when you're in the property, you're going to have like, you know, 
those like rosy goggles and you're going to think this is amazing. The numbers are too, too good to be true. Um, but when you look back or you show somebody, you're all excited and you're like, mom, dad, husband, wife, partner, girlfriend, puppy, whoever you're showing the pictures to, <laughs> you're going to like, you're going to be like, Oh wait, what's that thing in the, Oh crap. That's wait, hold on. Let me go back to my, Oh, that's not been too. Oh, that's easily going to run me. Whatever is going to run you in your market. Yeah. Yep. And, um, two tips that I actually have that I would uh, like to share <laughs> would be, you know, when you're looking to see if a roof needs to be replaced, I feel like there's a couple things that you can do. One, obviously go through, um, the top floor of the house and check for brown or yellow stains on the ceiling. That's a sure sign that there are leaks. Um, when you look at the downspouts outside, there sometimes there can be i don't know if you've ever seen it there's like granules from the asphalt shingles and if there are a ton of those granules it means kind of that the roof is deteriorating so um that's a that's, good tip yeah so you know look around for for lots of like asphalt i don't know if that's the right word asphalt granules but <laughs> you know they kind of look like little pebbles um yeah yeah so that's a good thing to look for um for roofs and then obviously you know if you can stand back and see the roof from the ground are there um like streaks like black streaks or rust mm -hmm. streaks or severe discoloration or is there waviness to the roof sometimes that can mean that um the plywood's bad underneath and you're not just going to have the replacement of the roof but um you're also going to have to replace some plywood so i think that's um a good tip for roofs and then for mechanicals uh, something I didn't find out till I feel like I should have known this like way, way long ago, but I've only known this for a couple of years, but you can actually, most mechanicals like the hot water heater or the heater, um, actually usually has an install date on it somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So you can kind of figure out how, about how old those are. And then a lot of times, especially with, with heaters, um, there's tags on there for service that has been done. So you can see what kind of service has been done to it if it's been done every year mm -hmm. and blah 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 so those are my like two tips for the big ticket items yeah and usually i mean granted i'm sure you know and you're gonna laugh at this but sometimes the seller disclosure does have that stuff on there sometimes yep. the seller obviously doesn't know or they haven't kept track of it but sometimes they do know in my instance i knew the roof was 20 20 years old um i knew the water heater and furnace were i think like each six years old or something like that you know good good enough um they looked fairly modern so i would i was comfortable knowing but i knew i needed a new roof and you know knock on wood the plywood was bone dry so yeah no no added cost there <laughs> no no added cost but yeah. um it is fairly typical for some plywood to be a little moist i was told from the roof i know you've done roofs so you know probably more than i do but <laughs> literally have done roofs like yeah. up on a roof roofing <laughs> yeah if you Which, listen to last week's episode Kier talks about doing roofs with her husband yeah. <laughs> never again <laughs> um and then i guess the only other thing you know to figure out if you're estimating rehab costs right or bring contractors through offer to pay contractors for their time uh, yeah. to go through a property with you um or even help you come up with a scope of work for the property and then mm -hmm. use that template that they give to you for the scope of work for future properties. Um, ask around at local meetups, you know, what people are typically paying for roofs in the area because it, yeah. stuff like that can vary from location to location. Absolutely. Um, and material costs even can, can yeah. vary. I mean, we've seen price of wood and things go up coming back down i think right so you know things vary not only by region but almost by like not even seasonality but like just month to month it seems things can vary so, especially right now <laughs> yeah, so, yeah so just be on the lookout for that and, and you know try your best like like you said to, to add a contingency whether that's five ten twenty percent a, a dollar amount whatever it is you know, try, try to add that to your, to your budget. And if the deal still works, knowing that you're going to probably likely go over by 10 grand, it's a good deal. Yeah, completely agree. So I guess um, maybe we should move on to the third fear here, um, which is the fear of not having the right processes and systems in place before you get started. 
So, I mean, again, I feel like this is with every single one. You're never going to know every single system and process that you need right up front. So don't let that deter you from getting started. I mean, like, it's almost like, what's that analogy with the staircase? Um, where you, you know, or now I'm really messing things up, but <laughs> there's some analogy where, uh, you, you know, you don't know the steps ahead, but you just take the first couple steps. If you can't see the, t- I don't know. I never uh, heard that one, but <laughs> I, I kind of like it. <laughs> um, I was thinking about like the boat description. I don't know if it totally applies or not, but um, when you start painting a boat, you start at the front and by the time you get to the back, the front needs it again. Um, So the way I look at at processes and everything is you start small, you start at the front, you start building them out, whatever. And by the time you think you have them all done, like it's a living document, you got to start over. You got to go update. You got to paint where Mm -hmm. a rock, a, a rock hit, or whatever, yeah. trying to keep keep with the analogy. But, you know, you got to do the touch-up paint. You got to, you know, update things. It's a living document. So, you know, a lot of people, when they start, they think they need to have, you know, every, all the leases, you know, pre-written, templated out, and they need to have, you know, like operations all figured out and, and you know, lists of everybody and workflows and, I mean, to be honest, you're not going to be able to create a workflow until you go through the workflow. Like the best habit to be in is to document it as you're going through it in the thick of it, not before, not after. (laughs) Absolutely. What I did was I actually made a list of systems um, that I know I needed immediately that I thought might help at some point and then that I might need in the far future. And then I would implement just one thing again, one thing and implement that. And then I would kind of go back and review the list again, kind of like what you were saying with the boat analogy, I would come back around once that process was, was implemented. And it's like, okay, is this list still valid or do some things need to change? Like what, what system Mm -hmm. or process do I need to, do I need to do next? What, um, not to put you on the spot, but what systems did you think you needed up front? I definitely needed some kind of a way to, um, uh, what's it called? Estimate the rehab costs. <laughs> so, That's you know, that, that was a, a big one, getting my Excel spreadsheet, um, mm-hmm. down. Um, because like I said, sometimes I actually still go room by room, especially for the bigger properties that we look at. Um, so that Why was not? a big thing. Yeah. Was getting my Excel spreadsheets down. Um, and then I have not been great with my direct mail, but when I was doing direct mail, I needed some kind of a way to track that. So, yeah. um, I started with Excel and then that kind of quickly became a little bit messy. So mm-hmm. I tried oh, a bajillion CRMs. <laughs> like I can't even tell you how many. And now I have, um, I've landed on monday.com and kind of tweaked that for my CRM. So yeah, those were the, I think the two Excel spreadsheets and a CRM is where I, where I started. I think it's also important to kind of, talk about uh, technology as part of systems. So when you're new, you know, you're going to have likely, what are you going to have? 10, 20, 50, maybe maybe even $100,000. Likely that's going to be whatever it is in your market. It's likely going to be enough for closing costs, down payment, and, you know, maybe some rehab. And maybe you're borrowing money. it, It doesn't matter, right? Whatever. You're not going to have, you know, a million dollars at your disposal to go buy 20 units like right off the bat. And if you do, God bless you. I'd like to connect with you. But <laughs> yes. uh, I mean, most people, you know, they might for the first use their own money. It's their savings, whatever. So you're already putting out a lot of money. You're probably likely putting out more money um, than you ever have in your life. The first, you know, it's probably the largest check or the second largest check you've ever written. Um in, in your life, that down payment and all that stuff. And, and the rehab costs, you know, quickly follow suit. You don't need to be spending 10 bucks a month on a, on a CRM or a project management software. You don't need to be spending, you know, a, a hundred bucks to purchase what, you know, whatever, or a thousand bucks to have a new tablet that you can take. That's all handy. When you walk through properties like that, that will come later. I, all you need is a pen, a pencil, measuring tape, maybe, 
Um, if you do like software, Excel, which I'm not saying that that's not, not something you have to pay for, but most people have Excel, I think, at this point, or, or Google Sheets or, or something on their computer, and they'd likely use it for something beyond um, real estate. But you don't need to buy all the software in the world that everybody uses that you see people use on, on Instagram or people when you go to a meetup and they say they have a Monday.com or they have um, a property management software. Yes, those things make everything easy. But a, a math teacher once told me, you need to learn how to understand the multiplication table before you can use a calculator. Uh-huh. And I think this uh-huh. applies. Using Excel, using pen and paper, whatever it is, do that first. Write your systems and processes down. You'll remember it more. And then when you implement the software and you can automate every step and it auto sends an email to your property manager, you know, when something happens and you can queue it all up and it's all fancy, but you, you got to learn the process first before you do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is super, but that is absolutely correct. I actually, um, so I don't know where to start, I guess to your point, it can easily get overwhelming if you choose, um, especially if you choose a software or a system that has way too much stuff. Like I actually signed up for, it was a thousand dollars to set the CRM up and I forget how much it was per month. And, um, I'm not using that CRM anymore, but it had, you know, ringless voicemail. It could do auto emails, auto text messages. Um, it just all kinds of stuff that, I just like would sit down to the CRM and be completely overwhelmed that I would just close it out. So I actually wound up canceling um, that CRM and went back to kind of basics for a while and went back to Excel spreadsheets. I mean, cause I was just like, why am I paying for the CRM when I'm not even using it? Yeah. Let's go back to basics almost. So yeah, I love that. I love that thought. Yeah. Um, find out what, what you need, what, what functionality yeah. you need. A lot of the softwares have like have a website and on that website they have a table of all their features right mm-hmm. figure out which ones you need do you need ringless yeah you know, voicemail i don't know if you need that but maybe you do cool mm-hmm. like find all the crms that have it make a little grid check and then the one that that has the most boxes that's the most fiscally responsible you get when you're ready exactly i love that um and then i think to another point that you made was to write things down Mm-hmm. Um, while you're doing it, I think so. SOP, standard operating procedures, they are so valuable. Um, for I mean, I have no plans of you know growing huge or scaling huge. We like to just do you know our slow pace um, because you know I'm a real estate agent. My husband has a remodeling business, so those take up a lot of our time too. Um, but I do really like the idea, especially if you're looking to scale of writing everything down that you're doing as you do it because um you know and step by step like to the point where somebody who isn't even in the real estate world could look at your sop and go step by step and figure out how to do exactly what you need them to do yeah i I think that's a good idea and i mean for me i'm the biggest tech guy right i think we've we've made that clear on this podcast i work in tech i love tech i use it every day I'm the biggest proponent of like software. I can find free software that makes it easy. So my whole rant about, you know, not using it. Well, if it's free, then maybe it's even better. Right. But I also know my, my limits in terms of software. And I've actually become more of a pen and paper guy when it comes to my <laughs> venture into, you know, what I need to do on this flip and everything. Cause I, I can bring the pen and paper into the room I'm working on. I can crumple it up and throw it out. I can actually physically, put the line through something. Oh, how good does it feel to to cross things off a list? That is is a joy in life for me. (laughs) It feels so good. So uh, to your point about Sandra, write them down on pen and paper, get a legal pad, throw it in the room you're working in, the bedroom, the bathroom, whatever, you know, leave it all outside the room, whatever. Write, Write down whatever, whenever it comes to mind, whenever you're in the thick of it at your desk, whatever. And then you can transfer it into to a software later. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I could not agree more. Um, all right. So what are we on? Number four or is this number five now? I think we're on four. Um, let's see. Fear of not being able to figure out ARV. Ooh, a good one. 
ARV, if you guys don't know, is after repair value. Um, I think that it is the number one thing that people should know how to do because no matter what kind of real estate you're getting into, you need to know the ARV. And even if you're buying a turnkey property that doesn't need any work, um, you're really just, it, it's the same thing as just figuring out the value of the property. So just learn how to figure out the value of a property and you'll be able to analyze a flip, a burr, uh, you know, whatever, whatever type of real estate you're trying to get into. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think it's the, the biggest jump in terms of, of, of net worth and ability to scale. Uh, comes from ARV, right? You see people buy a property for a hundred thousand, put twenty-five into it, and then it's worth two hundred. They just created a seventy-five thousand dollars worth of, of equity, which is basically adds to your net worth, right? So it's the biggest like leap that you can make. So it's very important to know what that is. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. Well, um, so I guess to learn ARV, um, I think the number one thing that you can do is and this is going to sound kind of redundant, but learn the area that you're investing in. Just watch the market. Like, like watch what properties are being listed for, what they're actually selling for, how long they've been on the market. Um, You can very quickly learn an area and just get a feel for how much the property is worth without even having to like really dive into the numbers. Yeah. And I, I don't want to exclude out of state investors because I feel like there are people who do that, especially, but I think the number of people who do that as their first investment is probably a lot smaller. Um, most people probably invest either in their own neighborhood or, you know, a couple of neighborhoods over, um, towns over, whatever. Um, you're likely already going to know like where the good areas are in your area. You're going to know where there's more renters than buyers. I mean, People know their own areas, and, and that likely is usually where people feel a little more comfort, and comfort mm-hmm. usually beats fear out. So, um, but but to your point, yeah, st- study the market. Go on Zillow, Realtor.com, wherever you prefer, and look at look at those numbers. Stalk them. See what recently yeah. sold, what they're selling for. Yeah, and you can even go as far as to keep an Excel spreadsheet of mm-hmm. you know, especially if you're in a very um, specific market, keep a spreadsheet of the yeah. properties that maybe that you've even analyzed and then see what they, what they actually sold for. And if you had, um, bid on that property, would you have made money with using your strategy? Yeah. And, and when you're on those websites, like look at the condition, people post pictures all the time. So yeah. if a property selling for $200,000, but it's absolutely, you know, not great condition. Uh, to try to keep it PG um, versus the one that sold for 400 and it's an absolute pristine condition with like $20 a square foot Italian Tuscan like backsplash. Like you're going to immediately know the difference. They might both be four bedrooms, but you can tell the difference. So beyond the spreadsheet, like keep, keep note, like make a little note column too. That was, yep. this is 90 out of a hundred in terms of like my, what I would deem quality or this is like a, an F, yeah. what a, however you want to do it. So that not only do you know what things are going for, but you know what, what people like in the property, what gets the highest ARV, um, all that kind of fun stuff. Yeah. How did you get comfortable with running, with running your numbers? Was it just what I said, just doing it over and over and over again and figuring out the market? Yeah, a little bit. Um, so I lived in Philly for three years and, and, I bought my property and I really just practiced in that area there, you know, the area I had, I had lived in in Philly was a very up and coming area. It was super popular, uh, very trendy, all the restaurants and stuff. Um, people were buying like left and right. And people were, were obviously renting there in, in droves as well. Um, so we, I was just able to have a lot of practice in that area. There was things coming up for sale almost every day. Uh, and I kind of knew, when it was time to sell my property, what it would go for uh, more or less because I had known that area and that gave me enough comfortability that when I was going to potentially be looking into moving in a different area that I was a little less familiar with, that when I was able to look at the Zillow's, the realtor, look at all the pictures and things like that, that you know I had already done that before. 
So, so that fear was kind of almost gone in a way. And, and I just trusted my numbers uh, more or less. Um, I knew that the deal that I had bought, I got such a good discount on that um, it was going to be hard to not make some sort of decent profit. Yeah, I love that. Not hard. <laughs> That's like, the I best mean, kind not, of deal. Famous last words, right? Right. <laughs> I, I mean, but but let's let's be clear. Like, what do I deem a solid profit? Right. Right. Um, you know, I think that varies as, as well. Like, I think you know, ideally, I could walk away with like forty thousand dollars. I think at the absolute bottom, I could walk away with like fifteen thousand. But for a first deal and all of the education, fifteen thousand dollars is my bottom. That's fifteen thousand more than I have today yep. and it's like how long would it take me in my job to save that as well exactly yeah i love that i mean and you can like i've seen a couple really good posts and like guides i think on the bigger pockets forums there's some really good posts in there um on how to determine arv i'm positive there are probably youtube videos out there you mm-hmm. can watch a ton of videos on it um, I actually have a course coming out to determine ARV. So, um, I don't know. I keep adding more and more to it. I keep adding more and more to it. Cause I just want to give as much value as I can. Um, but then yeah, Bill and I actually also, which what, by the time this podcast release, um, we created a spreadsheet calculator together. So by the time this airs, it will be up on the likemindedinvestors.co website if you guys want to go check that out and and give it a shot. Hey, like-minded investors, it's Bill here. And I just want to take a slight break from this amazing podcast to give you a special offer. You just heard Kier and I mention that we have a spreadsheet to help investors calculate ARV. This spreadsheet has all the bells and whistles, and we believe will make it easier and more efficient to run your numbers accurately and in a timely manner. We'd like to give you a special discount for supporting us and listening to the podcast. Our listeners will get a 50%, yes, you heard me right, 50% discount off this spreadsheet calculator. You can get this spreadsheet and have it forever for 10 bucks. There is so much value in this spreadsheet. You'll be using it all the time to help your business. All you have to do is go to our store, likemindedinvestors.co slash store, locate the ARV spreadsheet and enter the code fear at checkout. Again, go to likemindedinvestors.co slash store and enter the code fear, F-E-A-R at checkout for 50% off the ARV calculator. Now let's get back to the show. Um, because... We worked pretty hard on that, don't you think, Bill? We did, and I didn't want to say that in my answer as well as how I got good at ARV, but I kind of had an advantage of literally like working backwards mm-hmm. and building out a spreadsheet and working on formulas on how to really make ARV. So I had a little bit of an advantage, but um, if you buy the spreadsheet, um, I mean, I think it makes it a little bit easier in terms of if you can look at you know three, four, five properties. Um, and you should be able to come up with an ARV, but, you know, and also God bless you, if you can work backwards in my formulas that I created, <laughs> but if you can, yeah. then you should be able to kind of understand like the thought process around it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, so again, I'm a real estate agent. Um, and so I determine ARV all the time, whether it be for sellers looking to sell or buyers who want to put an offer in and aren't sure kind of what the value of the property is. Um, or I help wholesalers sometimes figure out ARV. And then obviously for the properties that we look at, I always determine ARV. And I am such a nerd when it comes to whenever I get an appraisal for a client or for ourselves, um, I've even asked like some of my investor friends to send me their appraisals uh, that redacted obviously for some things, but I love, love, love reading through appraisals. So um, I think that calculator and then the course that's coming out are is going to be um, it's going to, it's in depth, I think. And, and they'll get a lot of value out of it. I mean, I from totally like, just, agree. yeah, just learning that, you know, sheds add value, fences add value. And it doesn't matter if it's a, a beautiful, um, you know, white picket fence or just a chain link fence. Usually fences are kind of from what I've, all of the appraisals I've read through, usually, uh, fences are all counted the same. So, 
um, there's a lot of like little, little tidbits that will definitely be in that course. But again, you don't have to buy it. You don't have to buy our spreadsheet. We're just throwing it out there that we've created these two really cool things. You can definitely find all this information for free. Um, YouTube, bigger pockets, yeah. blogs, all that stuff. While I am very partial to the spreadsheet that we created, and I do I know. believe that, that there isn't anything out there that makes it, I think, as easy and, and user-friendly and as informative as yeah. our spreadsheet, you can definitely figure this out. I love what you said about like borrowing people's appraisals. If you can get over the fear of the analysis paralysis and everything, and like we said, like end up at a meetup, you might develop friendships with people and if you're looking to move into their area because you're already at a local meetup, they might be able to give you their appraisals. And then, yep. you know, not only do you have the Zillow and the realtor and all that stuff, not only have you maybe done your own analysis, maybe you used our calculator. Now you have concrete evidence from an actual appraisal in appraiser in the area that says, I appraised this property and I valued it at X. And here's all of the details about it. So now, you know, when you're going into that area, that's what something's worth. And then, you're probably also using an agent and they probably, to your point, have done it a million times. They have the yeah. software to support it on the back end with the MLS and everything. Yep. Use the agent, use them, you know, get an investor friendly agent who has properties themselves and who works with, loves work, working with rookie investors and build that relationship up and, and say, I want to help me figure out what the ARV is because I don't know. I have a bunch of appraisals that I got from friends in the area. I did my own research. You're the third leg of, of that chair. Like, what is it? And you group all of that together and you're going to come up with, I would bet something maybe like $5,000 off from each yes. other. Yes. I love that. Yes. An investor friendly agent can 100% help you. And especially if you start to learn this stuff yourself, they're going to be so happy to help you because um, you pretty much are probably are already bringing them an idea of what you think it's worth. And they're yep. more or less just kind of confirming your numbers and they're not having to start from scratch and do all their own research. So, um, I think it's, yeah, it's very important. All of those things. I love, I love all of those that you just brought up. One thing that I kind of wanted to talk about is estimates. Zillow's is estimates. Do not trust. Them. <laughs> In- why, why not here? Why don't you trust the estimates? <laughs> Guys, in most areas, I have just found the estimates to be completely incorrect and off. And I think it's because they're, I don't know how their algorithm works, but it just seems like they just group everything together and and mm-hmm. just get the average of, of things that are out there. I don't know if that's true, but from, from every time that I always still look at the estimates because I'm yeah. just curious how wrong they are, <laughs> but Zilla's estimates, please don't trust them. <laughs> I think... I think they're good in the sense of getting an idea. Yes. Like, absolutely. You know, they're not going to be off by a hundred thousand dollars. No, but don't just go by that. Don't go by not only Zillow. I think all of them now have their own estimates. Don't, don't go by that. I mean, I, like I said, I lived in Philly for three years. I, I don't, I can't speak for other towns and other cities, but I'm sure Philly's not the only one. Every block is different. So yes. like my block had its own personality and vibe. It was a lot of old school people from the area. And those old school people hadn't fixed up their properties. So mine was a lot lower than literally one block over where everything was brand new. They tore down the row houses, built up three story, 2000 square foot, beautiful houses. They put a garage on the bottom floor. Literally could be a difference of like $200,000, one block over. But it's estimate just smushed them together. Yep. Yeah, that's and a perfect example. The algorithm doesn't know Philly. Yeah. And it doesn't <laughs> and go sure. block by block. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess that does it for number four. Or did you have any other input on ARV? No, I, I don't. And I think it, a lot of what we talked about might segue very well into number five. Yeah, I think so too, which is. Um, people, number five, the fear of overestimating rent estimates. Mm-hmm. So I guess if you want to get started, I know that yeah. you are right now kind of considering maybe instead of flipping the property you're in, uh, considering renting it. So I guess, how do you, yeah. how did you, you know, make sure that your numbers would work? How'd you figure out 
and be confident in your rent estimates. Yeah. So I guess this is kind of breaking news that my flip might not be a flip. I'm still very early on in like yeah. <laughs> everything. I still haven't finished demoing. Like I feel so far behind, but um, like my parents have been super helpful, but at the end of the day, like it's just me five days and then them on some weekends and the weekends are here. We crush it. Right. But when it's just me, like I move so slow. Um, partially because I've never done this before and partially because I don't have someone like handing me something I dropped off the ladder or, or... I was going to say it's the synergy between the three of yeah. you probably like it like it probably it, one person feels like one person but the three of you probably feels like 10 of you <laughs> yeah my mom will do like the vacuuming and taking the nails out from the sheetrock my dad will be breaking the bigger pieces and putting them in the trash and I'm you know up there with the hammer knocking it down like when I'm done the room it's all like swept half the nails are gone that my mom can reach because she needs the ladder that I might be on. Like, like it's like almost done. It's amazing when it's just me, like maybe I get a wall done in that time if I'm lucky and there's still trash everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, in terms of like moving my mindset from flip to, to re uh, rental, I, I just kind of thought about what that ARV was, how much money I was putting into it and, and you know, factoring in some other things like, the commission on the back end that the seller pays for and, and property taxes or, or not property taxes, but um, capital gains tax um, and all of these other factors that, that might thin out the profit. Whereas if you rent something in a good school district, you're going to be able to command like really nice rent and you're going to be able to either refinance and get your cash back or take a HELOC out on the property. And because this is a primary property, my HELOC, could potentially go up to 90% loan to value, um, which would be phenomenal, which means I could probably get all of my money and maybe more if that ARV holds true. Um, and I can go buy another rental. And at the end of the day, I still have a cash producing asset. Now, that being said, I also might stay in the property. I kind of really like the area. It's growing on me a little bit. Um, this wasn't my initial area that I had uh, pegged for myself um, in terms of where I wanted to move after Philly. But I kind of do like the area. It's nice. It has plenty of space, nice backyard, all that kind of stuff. Um, but if I stay, the HELOC and refi still apply where I'd be able to get all my cash out and go buy a true investment property. Um, what kind of changed my mind was being able to run those numbers. So what I did was I looked up what Section 8 would be able to get as kind of the bottom. Um, so it was like 1800 a month or something like that. And then yeah, I looked so let me interrupt you there real quick. Yeah, um, that was a tip I think I gave you, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So um, if you don't know what he's talking about, you can actually go to, I believe it's HUDUser.gov and you can actually look up the fair market rent for what the government would pay you if you decided to um, go with Section 8 or whatever it's called in your area. I know it's diff called different things in different markets, um, but they're usually pretty close to market rent. Um, mm. they don't account for things like number of bathrooms. They really only go, go by number of bedrooms. They don't account for like square footage. Uh, if there's a garage, if there's a shed, like those kinds of things, which obviously, um, add value a little bit to the, to the mm -hmm. fair market rent. Um, so you can like adjust accordingly, but yeah, so that's, that's the website headuser.gov if you want to figure out what the government would pay you decided to go that route. Yeah. And we'll, we'll make sure that we link it, um, in the show notes that everybody has access to it. But that was kind of my first stop. Uh, it's free. All you have to do is type in the zip code. It's a nice little grid style, one bedroom studio, two bedroom, whatever. And it will literally tell you how much they'll pay you, which is great. So I think for me, it was like a little over 1800, um, 1810 or something like that, whatever it was. So that was my bottom. I knew 1800 was my bottom in terms of what I could get. Um, but then I kind of ran a spreadsheet and I ran my numbers a hundred bucks up all the way up to what Rentometer, which is another software that you could use. And I think you get like five freebies on it or something. So I used my, one of my five freebies. Um, and it said that I could get up the, like the middle line that, you know, there's a low end, there's high end, and then there's like a middle line on Rentometer based on the area. And I, it said 2,200 bucks. So I said, okay, great. Four bedroom, 2,200 bucks. That kind of makes sense. Good area, right? Then I kind of went on like apartments.com and some other places and that kind of held true. So I ran a spreadsheet and I ran an analysis at 1800, 1900, 2000, 2100 and 2200 bucks. I think I went 2300 just, just to kind of see. 
And then what I did was I ran those now each of those hundred dollar differences three different times with three different scenarios of what I would keep for capex, maintenance, vacancy. And even though I'm managing the property myself, I still wanted to account for it in case something happens, right? So I ran it at like 22%, 26%, and 30%. So, and then what I did was I looked at my numbers and I said, like, what's most likely? I'm probably not going to get the 2200 Maybe if I do, great, but I'd rather be more conservative. So I kind of highlighted 2000 and 2100 which were kind of the middle between 1800 and 2200 And I said, that's likely what I'm going to get. What's this going to cash flow? And I think including the property management, I think I was going to like cash for like 300 something bucks a month or something like that. or close to 300. I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head. Um, and that was like pretty solid. So I was like, I don't think I'm going to be able to be able to HELOC or HELOC a property, use that money elsewhere, keep this mortgage low and cash flow 300 bucks a month and keep the asset while it appreciates and the mortgage gets paid down and get all the tax advantages that come with owning it and all that kind of fun stuff. I just, that's kind of how I came to it. So I kind of went over a lot of things there. I don't know if you yeah. follow ups. Yeah, I mean, just to kind of like put that all into a concise, like actionable thing for other people, you know, start with hudusergov figure out yeah. what the government would pay pay you for it. Um, I know Zillow now has rent estimates. So kind of what you could start with, kind of maybe putting a spreadsheet together of all of the different places that you can find what um, what rents might go for. So Rentometer, mm -hmm. you can go to Redfin. They have um, they have rental estimates. Zillow, they're, they're rental estimates. Um, and call around to property managers and figure out what uh, things are actually renting for in the area. And I forget who it was, but um, somebody I know keeps a spreadsheet because her area is kind of rural. So there are not a ton of like, when she goes to those websites, she says they're just completely like, sometimes it says that it's not even available, the data. So she actually has a running spreadsheet where she checks Craigslist a lot, apartments.com, um, whatever, you know, the apartment sites are. And yeah. she'll have, she'll, she'll keep her own little spreadsheet of how much stuff is actually running for in her area when it comes up. And she just kind of keeps up with that so that she's like, it's at the, she's always on top of, of what current mm -hmm. market ranks are. I think um, that's a good idea too. Yeah. Yeah. So you can also go to Facebook marketplace. I'm sure there are a ton of rent. I think there's actually, isn't there a whole rental section on Facebook marketplace that you can probably check out and see what people are um, running those pro is. properties for. Yeah. So I mean, there, there's a tons of places, right? I mean, you just listed a bunch. There's Craigslist too. I mean, there's so many places where people post their, their rental listings. Uh, and if you keep a running tab, you're going to be able to see, you know, that, you know, one bedroom apartment in that, you know, apartment building, that's a couple miles away. They were trying to get 1200. And if you go look every, you know, Monday and you go through your lists and now it's listed at 1100, you know they had to take a hundred dollars off because they weren't getting any right. flights, right? Right. So keeping that history, keeping that spreadsheet, I think that's an incredible idea. But use all the all the tools at your disposal. Uh, a net, if again, if you're going to meetups, just like with the ARV, or, or you you maybe had an agent when you bought the property, maybe they know what rents are going for. Also, yeah, ask, ask around. Yeah. yeah, in face local Facebook groups at meetups, just ask everybody what they're getting or what they think the market rents are and kind of just consolidate mm -hmm. all of that information. And then I kind of like your tip, how you started with a baseline. Uh, you know, maybe what I like to do is run three scenarios, worst case scenario, most likely scenario and best mm -hmm. case scenario. And if the numbers still work based on that worst case scenario of the lowest possible rent that I might get, um, it's, it's, a, should be a pretty solid deal. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And that's exactly what I did. I ran a lot more than, than three. I ran like five or six, but um, there was such a big discrepancy between what Rentometer and others were saying and what Section 8 that I felt like I needed to run at every $100 mark, just to be sure. But I mean, it was kind of like a spectrum from worst case to best case. Exactly. Right, which which yeah. definitely tells you a lot. And it's not yeah. hard to put the spreadsheets together, right? It's, it's rent minus 
your principal and interest minus taxes, minus insurance, minus any other expenses you might have. So um, lawn care, snow removal, pest control, whatever it is. And then and that equals, uh, I guess what I'll call like your fake cash flow, your phantom cash flow. Hopefully it's positive. It's, if it's not positive at that point, then it's not a deal. <laughs> <laughs> but then you're, you have to account for other things. You have to account for your capital expenditures, which are your big, big, big ticket expenses. So we talked about roof and water heater and furnace and windows and all that and electric and all that stuff. And it's great if you buy a property and the roof was five years old, but at some point you're going to need a new roof and it's going to cost you a good chunk of change. So it might be wise to start putting some, a few shekels away for it. And now there, there, there's other other ways to do it, of course, some people don't do it that way. Maybe they, they take a lower percentage of capital expenditures off the top of their phantom cash flow, and they uh, maybe use a HELOC later down the line because they've been paying the mortgage for those 15 years or, or something like that. Everybody does it a little different. But for me, I like just stowing away the cash. Cash is king. So I'll put it away a certain percentage for capital expenditures. I'll also put a certain percentage away for, for maintenance, random things that come up, toilet gets stocked up, I need to send a plumber out, whatever. And then um, you also got to put money away for vacancy. Your biggest expense, if somebody's not there, is your mortgage. Like this property that I'm in, I think my mortgage is like 1300 bucks a month. If it rents for 18 to 2200, obviously I can make money on this deal. But if I'm not getting rent, that's 1300 bucks a month. If I don't have a renter in this property for six months, that's what, like eight grand right there? That's expensive. So putting money aside for that might not fully be able to cope with <laughs> a six-month vacancy, but it'll certainly uh, put a dent in it. Um, and, and also having some sort of cash reserves beyond that as well, I think it's uber critical. Um, and then property management. Are you going to manage it yourself or not? Regardless, you should pay yourself for the time. Absolutely agree. And two, um, with vacancy and property management, you know, when you, or, I mean, most banks and lenders, when you go to refi or put a mortgage on the property for, if you bought it cash or whatever, they're going to account for vacancy and property management. So when you run your numbers, you have to make sure that um, you account for those things because the lenders definitely will. Yeah, that's a good, good call too. And, and I mean, a lot of people have different percentages or, or fixed dollar amount that they use. And you can go to any of the forums, ask people around what they're using in your area, what property managers are charging in your area. You know, it might vary um, depending on the quality of your fix. You might not have some of those capital expenditures for another decade. So maybe you put a lower percentage because it'll be a longer period of time. Totally up to you that, you know, that's comfortability, you know, Fear is tied to comfort. And the more comfortable you are, the less fear you'll have. So if you want to put 50% of your phantom cash flow away in cash and just stow it away, no one's going to stop you. That's your business. You operate it how you want. Um, me personally, I probably wouldn't. <laughs> but um, that's totally up to everybody. Um, yeah. Whatever makes you comfortable. I absolutely agree. So just so people know what I do, I um, usually, you know, I do the, the different levels too, but mm -hmm. my like basis for um, analyzing, I do 8% for vacancy, 4% for CapEx, 4% for maintenance and 8% for um, property management. So I think that comes to 24, yeah, 24%. Mm -hmm. So um, that's kind of my baseline that I use. And obviously it's different for everybody, but um, yeah. You know, like to your point too, it depends on if you did an entire rehab, you might need to put less away for CapEx and maintenance because nothing is going to be needed. So um, again, it's personal preference and what you feel comfortable with, but just thought I would share what I use because I'm always curious <laughs> what other people use as their, yeah. as their numbers. If you, if you are running your numbers and you want to let us know, you can DM us on Instagram at like-minded investors or each individually at Billy Invest Philly, at realestate.care. Let us know what you're running for your numbers and what market you're in, because um, I think that'll be helpful for other people. Maybe we can share them or something for people. Yeah, in the city. yeah absolutely.
Well, I think uh, that brings us to the end then with the five fears that investors actually shouldn't fear <laughs> because, you know, they, they are, they are good. They are very um, typical fears to have, but you definitely need to get over most of them if you do want to get started in real estate. Yeah. Uh, I think every entrepreneur, everybody in real estate has that fear to start, but the best entrepreneurs, the best investors um, kind of lean into that fear. Exactly. Um, you, know. you only grow when you're uncomfortable. So exactly. Get comfortable with the uncomfortable, get comfortable with the unknown. And I can promise you that it will all work out. Just be smart. You know, don't go throwing your money at the top of the market of the nicest property on the block and trying to rent it for, you know, $12,000 a month when nothing is running over a thousand. Be, be smart, be reasonable. Don't fudge your numbers. Don't fudge your numbers. <laughs> Work, work the process, network, talk to people, do all the things we talked about. And I promise it, it will work out in the end. Yeah, absolutely agree. Uh, Bill, this was, I love this episode. I love having guests, but this was cool. Just you and me chatting again. I love it. It's a little different pace, but um, hopefully people enjoy it. And hopefully they got a lot out of it as well. Yeah, we would love to know if you guys want us um, to do some more solo episodes like this, or if you prefer guests. Um, reach out to us at like-minded investors on Instagram. We would love to hear um, your opinion. And then as always, we would absolutely love it. If you guys could go to whatever podcast uh, app that you listen to and subscribe, rate, review us five stars. <laughs> um, that, that would really, really mean a lot to us. Yeah. It helps with the algorithm. It helps us find new, new investors and help more people in the end. So yeah, um, that's what we're here to do. That. Yeah. All right, Bill. Well, I will let you get going and um, we'll chat soon. All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys.